Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. One day, Master Inzai went to Kaku. Counselor O, the governor, invited him to ascend the high seat. At that time, Mayoku came forth and asked, the great compassionate one has a thousand hands and a thousand eyes. Which is the true I? Rinzai said, the great compassionate one has a thousand hands and a thousand eyes. Which one is the true I? Speak, speak. Mayoku pulled Rinzai down from the high seat and sat on it himself. Approaching him, Rinzai asked, how do you do? Mayoku is about to say something. Rinzai pulled Mayoku down from the high seat and sat on it. Mayoku left. Rinzai stepped down. We just chanted Kanzayon, offering our strong men to the people of Ukraine as they tried to repel the terrible full-scale attack by Russian forces that began just three days ago. It's really like David and Goliath. And many have noted the parallels between Putin's invasion of Ukraine and Hitler's invasion of Czechoslovakia and Poland in 1939. We now have the added threat of nuclear war. Indeed, it's a grave time, an uncertain time. With war added to all the other issues of this fraught era. What can we do? We must respond fervently from the heart of our Buddhist practice. We must become Kanzeong, she who hears all cries. <laughs> <laughs> 
This mind, let us extend our prayers for peace for all nations. Today's koan from the Book of Rinzai, Ascending the High Seat, Chapter 2, is one that Myo-on Chiko Maureen Stewart really loved. Which, which is the true eye of Avalokiteshvara, or in Japanese, Kanzeon, the hearer of all cries. The Bodhisattva of Compassion is said to have a thousand arms, and on each of her thousand hands is an eye. One thousand, it means innumerable, a quantity beyond measure. to hear, to see, to lend a hand, to save all beings. As uh, the Zen expression goes, with eyes to see, with ears to hear, this can only happen when this small self, this ego entity, is dropped away. Having taken this rare and precious human form, having encountered the Dharma, we can offer the hand of compassion, the wisdom eye to everyone. We are not chanting to Kanzeon. When we dedicate our lives to this true eye, this true hand, we are one with Kanzeo. And this is what Maureen did throughout her life. She was born on March 3rd, 1922. So this Thursday would be her 100th birthday. In one of her talks, she said, the Bodhisattva Kanon grows arms and heads in abundance to be able to respond wherever there is a need. This Bodhisattva spirit in each of us bows down in humble gratitude as we become freer, more awake, 
and aware of what it means to be a true friend. Nobody is forcing us to do something. We spontaneously do what needs to be done. This one treasure is found within ourselves. This untaught wisdom is found in all the subtle actions of our lives. During my 78 years and a little more, I've been extremely fortunate to have had many women teachers among family and friends, educators, and Dharma guides. But foremost was Maureen. She and I both started sitting at the Zen Studies Society's small Zendo in an apartment on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. But we didn't really meet until a weekend session in 1970 at the society's new home in a restored carriage house at 223 East 67th Street, where New York Zendo Shoboji formally opened in September 1968. So we began as Dharma sisters, inspired by the visiting Zen masters, Hakun Yasutani Roshi and Soen Nakagawa Roshi. They were both the teachers of the dynamic young monk Edo Tai Shimano, who established New York Zendo and later Daibasasu Zendo. In 1965, after two beginner's workshops at the West Side Zendo, Maureen signed up for a week-long session led by Yasutani Roshi, held at Pumpkin Hollow, a retreat center in upstate New York that was run by the Theosophical Society. And she continued attending nearly every session offered from then on. She met Soen Roshi during the summer of 1968. And that fall, he conducted Jukai for her and a few other students, giving her the name Myo On. Subtle sound. Even after moving to Boston with her husband 
Ozzy Friedgood and their daughters, she continued going to Session. At Daibasatsu Zendo, on the last day of Rohatsu, December 8, 1977, Maureen was ordained by Edo Roshi. The ordination name he gave her was Chiko. Wisdom Light. By then, I had moved to Syracuse, but we stayed in close contact. And Maureen was one of the teachers we invited to a conference that my first husband, Lou Nordstrom, and I organized in 1977 at Syracuse University, where he was teaching. We intrepidly called it the flowering of Buddhism in America, 1977. I recently came upon a mention of it in an article by one of the few academics we invited, Charles Prebish, who is now Professor Emeritus at Pennsylvania State University. And this, in this article, he wrote that it was, quote, an exciting conference that had real impact on the development of American Buddhism and on my career. Although the title of the conference was overly ambitious and inaccurate, it was great fun, he said. With the exception of me and one or two others, the presenters were all practitioners rather than scholars. And their enthusiasm had all the uncritical abandon that one might expect from such a congregation." End quote. Those were wonderful years of enthusiasm and, yes, uncritical abandon. Perhaps not quite the flowering that we envisioned, but certainly Sprouts were everywhere. And as Yogen Senzaki said some decades earlier, America has Zen all the time. Why should I meddle? In 1982, Soen Roshi made his last visit to the United States. And he asked Maureen to meet him at Daibosatsu Zendo, not in the monastery, but in Jarakuan, the present feature house where we originally lived and practiced while the monastery was being built and where he spent quite a bit of time with us. In that private meeting, he said to Maureen, you are true Zen master. Tell your students 
to call you Roshi. There was no ceremony, no documentation, no formal authentication. Indeed, a formless transmission. Maureen told us about it and then said, please just call me Maureen. As I wrote in my introduction to Subtle Sound, the Zen teachings of Maureen Stewart, it was not in her nature to seek credentials or titles. She simply went on as she had before, wearing the same robes, keeping the same busy schedule of session, daily zazen, piano recitals and lessons, spending time with her children, traveling. Yet increasingly, one could sense a redoubtable power within this elegant lady with the leonine hair, now white, and strong, dark, arching eyebrows, who wore lipstick and foundation, who offered Bach instead of calligraphy. Maureen was the first person I called when I learned of Son Roshi's passing on March 11th, 1984. And I invited her to Syracuse to lead a weekend session honoring him. That began a shift in our relationship in which I became her student. In my journals, focusing on our time together from that year through her death in 1990, I wrote, we talked today in Doksan about my forthcoming ordination. What does it mean to me, Maureen has been asking. I'm beginning to understand what's at the core, what must be. Shujo muhen segando. And not an abstract salvation, but starting right here at home. The endless whirl of ego begetting suffering, begetting ego. I wrote. In our evening doksan, Maureen said ordination was like nonsense koan, ordinary mind is the way. And as I was bowing, she said she was reminded of Soen Roshi, saying so frequently, ordinary mind is extraordinary mind. And that reminded me of the doksan I had with Soen Roshi at DBZ just after the monastery was built. He and I chanting Shujo Mohen Segondo together 
in the candlelight in the front entryway where we had Dogsan. My ordination took place at Cambridge Buddhist Association on the last day of Rohatsu, 1985. And Maureen gave me the ordination name Nyo-chi, subtle wisdom, both kanji from her names, Nyo-ong and Chi-ko. And an interesting thing that happened was our beloved Dharma sister, Margot Wilkie, in congratulating me for this step that I took on my path, sent a calligraphy that she had, that Soen Roshi had done. And we couldn't read it. When Kaz Tanahashi paid a visit, he said, oh, that's Nyo-chi Riki. There it hangs. The power of subtle, wondrous wisdom. So we pass it every time we walk in and out. It's important to know that connection, that mandala happening. So attending session with her in Cambridge and here in Syracuse, I was so deeply affected by her talks. And I asked her if she would agree to my editing them into a book. With typical modesty, she said, oh, well, if you think there is something that might be helpful in any of them, please do. So over the years, I listened to hundreds of her Teisho on tapes, which were transcribed by students here and in Cambridge and out in California. And I read and reread her journals and all the little slips of paper that she had collected in preparing her talks. And I do that every year at this time. And this is the book that appeared after her passing. And you know, Maureen was never anything but who she was. She put no head above her own, even though she had great respect for her teachers. She was fiercely independent, and yet she devoted herself to the training, both in music and in Zen, with utter conviction and dedication. She was disciplined 
in every way. But she had a great sense of joie de vivre. She was just so much fun to be with. She was passionate about life, about all the arts, not just the music, which she performed so beautifully all over the world. Going with her to the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, which has one of the best collections of Japanese art anywhere in the world outside Japan. And spending time among the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in that special section was like being in session so intense and intimate, our connection with what we were seeing with eyes that see, feeling. And it was the same with food. We loved going out together and eating. It was the same with clothes. She had quite a collection. And literature, so deeply read, widely read. Conversant with the great minds. And driving. How she loved to speed along in Boston traffic, terrorizing everyone in her path. Truly a race car driver. And she gave of herself utterly. Her hugs were enveloping the whole universe in a hug. She and my husband, Andy, enjoyed each other greatly. And she was very encouraging to him when he was just beginning his Tibetan practice with the late Domo Geshe Rinpoche. And Maureen and our son, Jesse, were completely in love. She would come here for session to our house on weekends, twice a year from 1984 through 1988 thoroughly in session mind and observing session protocols up in our 
Eric Zendel. But afterwards, she and Jesse would do special things together, like sitting on our porch swing, reading together, then walking down to Seven Rays Bookstore to pick out some wonderful object, maybe a crystal, a book, a tiny carving. In 1987, Maureen was diagnosed with cancer. It didn't stop her from taking a small group of students to India, and she continued teaching with as much intensity as ever. At a weekend session with us in Syracuse in October 1988, Maureen said, the small self is what gets stuck in positive versus negative, health versus illness. Living in health with good cells, bad cells, it's all impermanence. That was the last time she came to Syracuse. I went to Rohat's session at CBA that year. And on the last day, instead of giving Keisho herself, Maureen played a recording of Yo-Yo Ma performing Bach's fourth suite for unaccompanied cello, the prelude of which we heard earlier today. The next day, as we sat at her kitchen table, I asked her if she felt she could lead session in Syracuse that spring, or if she'd rather some of us came to CBA. She said, no, it's time for you to lead your own sessions and give your own talks. The Sangha here was growing, and she encouraged me to look for a larger place for the Syracuse Zendo outside the family home. At what turned out to be her last Rohatsu session in 1989, it was clear that she was in a lot of pain. She was having frequent nosebleeds, still giving Taisho on the 10 Oxherding pictures. She emphasized that we take this form for a brief period, and after our death, our energy continues as it had before our birth. She led January 1990 weekend session at CBA, but by February was in the hospital. 
She passed away at 4 a.m. on February 26th. Her last words were, wonderful peace, nobody there. Not long after that, several of us here in Syracuse started to look at possible sites for a Zendo. Nothing we looked at was quite right. Then we saw this beautiful property in the spring of 1996. It was the run-down old carriage house in the back that clinched the deal for me. Even though nobody else at the time could imagine that such a place could become a Zendo. But I knew Maureen would have nodded and smiled. A carriage house. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.